Welcome to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Adele King, certified nutritionist and holistic women's health expert. Here, we'll cover all topics related to nutrition, women's health, hormones, self-development, and personal growth. Now let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. On today's episode, I'm really excited to be talking with Dr. Anna Arabian. Dr. Anna is a proud LA native and a faculty member at the USC Leonard Davis School of Gerontology. She discovered her niche for hormone health while struggling with her own health issues. After many trials and tribulations involving failed conventional methods for regulating hormone imbalances, Dr. Anna discovered the importance of education and a holistic approach. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Anna. Hi, Alex. Thanks so much for having me here. Of course. I'm so excited to have you and to talk about all the amazing things we're going to talk about today. But if we could get started with just getting to know you a bit more, your your personal health story and what got you interested in gerontology and then women's health and pharmacy and all that good stuff. Absolutely. A lot of times it's it's from your own struggles that you get into a passion or a niche, right? So um, I really struggled from my hormones from a really young age. I, as soon as I reached puberty, a lot of weight gain, acne, um, missed periods. I wasn't diagnosed with PCOS at the time. Mm-hmm. It took me many years to finally get that diagnosis. But essentially, looking back now, it was PCOS. And um I really struggled. I mean, it really affected not only my physical health, but also my emotional and psychological health because it made me believe that I just, you know, was this little hairy, chubby outcast, never going to make it in life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and really, when I look back, and a lot of the times from this work that I do, it's almost like I don't want that lonely feeling for anyone else because it just felt really lonely. And I just felt like it was you know, my, this clear box between me and the rest of the world. And so, uh, I was very lucky. My mom, she didn't know it was PCOS, but she did everything. I mean, I had nutritionists. I, I did multiple programs for nutrition. Um, every day after school, I had some kind of physical activity. Um, and so she was really proactive about eating healthy. I remember, even before it was whole whole foods, it was Mrs. Gooch's, you know, <laughs> in LA. And we used to go there and it was all about organic when organic was first the thing. So even, even though I was so blessed with so much help within my home, I still really struggled with these symptoms. And so as I got older, um, I went to college. And by the time I got to college, I had lost the weight, mostly by calorie counting. But I still had not regulated my hormones, which means my weight was at a normal level, but my hormones were still irregular. I still had those symptoms. I think that's really important for people to hear because many times people think as soon as you lose the weight, the symptoms will go away. Yes, they, the weight and the hormonal dysregulation can be correlated, but it's not necessarily causative. And so it's important for us to make that distinction. And so anyways, I got to college um, and I was studying business because I didn't know what else to do. (laughs) And by, (laughs) in some ways, I really believe gerontology was always meant for me. I eventually found it through a mentor 
who I met at a job that I had at the time in end of life care and palliative care. And he told me, what are you doing in the business school? I said, I don't know. I just am here. And he redirected me to the school of gerontology, which really was a very small program at the time. And it still is. It's, it's relatively larger, but um, it's the no- number one school of gerontology in the country. And um, it's a gem. It's a gem. It's a school where we essentially teach people how to live well, how to age well. And um, we look at it not just on a physical level, but really holistically. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, you know, the courses were just so informative for me because it was all about how do you live this life well, right? Like, how do you do it? Um, we were learning all about memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's, metabolic health, um, calorie restriction, um, intermittent fasting before these things were catchphrases. And so I was very blessed to kind of have a very young, I had, I had exposure to these things very young and it really shaped me as a person. Um, and so at that point, um, it was time for me to almost, I was getting ready for my next steps. And the person who was my mentor, Bruce, who told me to study gerontology said, consider pharmacy school because, you know, I want to go to pharmacy school and uh, he didn't end up going. And at the time, I didn't feel like my grades were good enough for medical school. Um, And so I thought, okay, let me go to pharmacy school. Because at the time, I thought I wanted to do uh, palliative pharmacy, Mm. which is definitely still one of my passions. And so um, that's kind of how it happened. Um, I went into pharmacy school, and that was a big shock to me because I realized every medication has a side effect. Every medication can have adverse effects. And I also realized that medications don't necessarily fix the underlying cause. Um, There are exceptions. I think also another caveat, just like I talked about the weight and the hormones not being the same. Mm -hmm. I think there's too much, um, we're too extremists, right? Where we feel like, you know, allopathic medication is this, this, and that. Um, it's all about the natural route, and then we're, we're we're too divided. And so I think it was very eye-opening for me because I realized how miraculous these medications can be when used appropriately, mm-hmm. but at the same time, how detrimental they can be when used inappropriately as a Band-Aid for something that is possibly something we can look at from a nutritional lens or from a biopsychosocial lens. And so by the time I graduated, I mean, I just had such a wealth of knowledge and taking into account my own experiences. Um, And then throughout this time, before I graduated, I also developed endometriosis. And I realized, oh, endometriosis, I had IBS. And when I put all these things together, I realized, look at this, look at this, you know, it's all interrelated these body systems do not work independently. And I just didn't want people to have to wait as long as I did. I mean, consider this. I had a really California forward-thinking mom. I went to study gerontology at a young age. I got, I got a doctorate and it still took me all these years. I really want to shrink that amount of time. Not because I want people to get a diagnosis and get scared of it, and almost to know, oh, this is what's happening. Let's see what we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just find your journey so fascinating. And you're, thank you for sharing all that. You're a great example of someone able to live and have 
you know, different avenues and different passions, but at the end of the day, be able to combine them all together instead of keeping gerontology separate and, you know, just pursuing gerontology or just pursuing women's health or just pursuing pharmacy, you really went out and you educated yourself on on all three. So I really applaud you for having all these passions and really pursuing them. That's really incredible. Thank you. I think it's funny because um, sometimes as we're going through early adulthood, our early education, we think, oh, how am, what's my elevator pitch? Like, what am I going to tell people I do? Mm-hmm. And really, when I think back, I'm a human being with multiple passions, as we all are, right? We're human beings. We're passionate beings. And what we find is that the education is just the tool mm-hmm. that you have. It's just these things that you put on yourself you know, it's a tool to really be able to give back to the world. And what you give back to the world is your passion. And if you're lucky enough where education is something that's helped you come back and serve, then it's just, I I feel very blessed, really. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I'm sure a lot of people listening are wondering as well, as am I, how -hmm. you take these three fields and do you relate them together into your life or into one into the people that you meet? Or do you tend to just keep them separate and take little bits and pieces from each area or avenue of your life and just apply them one by one? Yeah, no, no, they're very interrelated. I think what's interesting is that just like body systems are not like your brain and your heart and your kidneys and your liver, they don't function differently, right? And so similarly, whether we're talking about healthy aging, pharmaceutics, hormones, these all are very interrelated. So for example, for women, right, someone who has a female anatomy and they have periods, not only are we cycling throughout the month, we're also cycling throughout our lives. And so what it, it's important to know what's happening to your body as you age. And when I say age, as you go through your lifespan, you know, because some people don't think aging is a very sexy term. I <laughs> think it's the most sexy term. Because it's but really, Aging and hormones just go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then pharmaceutics, when you go look at all of these medications and you see that throughout a lifespan, what medications we're using at one point and for what reasons, and we see how those change and how they evolve, um, I don't really consider them different. It's almost like one built on the other to the other to the other to kind of help me create my identity as it is today. Mm -hmm. I love that. and. As you were going through your story into gerontology, there's a couple of things you said that just caught my attention. So I'm very curious in what you learned through going through those studies and how it's shaped the way that you view health and wellness through studying healthy aging. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I have to say that some of the classes and the work that I've done that's taught me the most has been an end of life. Because when you look at end of life and you look at some of the things people regret or the ways that people wish they had lived or are glad they had lived, it really helps you shape the way you live today. Um, And so today when I teach, the first thing that I start my class with, one of the things is five regrets of the dying, not because I'm there to put this cloud on your day, but because I want you to take that and live your life with it. So on a very kind of esoteric emotional level, it's what do I want to incorporate into my life from what people that are at the end of life wish they had done. Okay. So I think if gerontology for me had an umbrella, that would be the top. 
So underneath that, um, I think, again, it was such um, an integrative degree. So we had the biology of aging, the physiology of aging, um, different programs that are out there on the outpatient level, on the inpatient level. How does policy work? How, how does insurance work in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that compare to other countries? Um, how do we have more mindfulness within our day? What's the difference between biological aging and emotional age and um, your physiological age, right? So um, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it was like, it's such a, it's, I can't say enough wonderful things about that program. And it's one of the biggest gifts to me in my life that I get to go back and teach there because it's so unique. Um, because it's the first oldest and honestly the best in the nation, it's the best of the best minds in that, in that little department. Um, and so, you know, they're not paying me to say this, but public service announcement, USC school of gerontology, mm-hmm. because all these things that you hear now, right? Like biohacking, preventing Alzheimer's, um, biological age versus chronological age. All of those things are things that I was exposed to when I was 18. Mm-hmm. I think that's incredible that you were exposed at such a young age and able to take that with you and healthy age into the future. And like you mentioned, you know, studying that at a young age and realizing end of life care was one of the most important things when I worked with cancer patients, that was probably the most eye-opening moment of my life, probably very similar to studying end-of-life care. You just learn what the most important things are at the end of life, and then you you really realize at this moment in your life how you can better take care of yourself through your health and your mind and everything that you mentioned between the biology and the physiology and and all these things that you know we have access to. I find that super, super fascinating. Thank you. I do too. It's sometimes when I, uh, who was it the other day asked me, Oh, what do you do for fun? And I just like, you know what? <laughs> Obviously I have a life. I see friends, family, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I travel, et cetera, et cetera. But so much of these things that I talk about on the regular, they're just my passions. So it's fun mm-hmm. for me. I love that so much. Um, That book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, has been on my list to read. Uh, Do you know off the top of your head what are a few of the the top five regrets that if people are listening, they also haven't read it? Yeah. um, It's, I wish I had worked less. I wish I had kept in touch with my friends. Um, I wish I had had the courage to live a life that was true to me. And of course mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing that. Um, I can't remember the other two. Mm-hmm. Those ones. It's sounding familiar. I have heard a few of those. And in fact, just the other day I did listen to a podcast that on that third point, I wish I had lived a life that was true to me and just, yeah, not living in accordance to what someone else wants you to do and living for what you want to do and do the job that you want to do. And, and yeah, I find that super, super powerful. The next question I have for you, I would love to know your, the top three things that you've learned from studying gerontology and pharmacy and, or if you want to combine them or separate them that you're able to apply to your own life. Oh yeah. 
Absolutely. So one thing I want to say is, I think as we're going through school, we're also going through a school of life, right? And so when you ask me, like, do you want to combine them? I'm like, I don't know where one begins and the other. <laughs> uh, because you're growing simultaneously. So for the, let's say, eight years that I did my undergrad and then my doctorate, sure, I was in this intensive kind of, you know, schooling era of my life. But simultaneously, I was also growing as a human. So the top three things, um, again, I have to go back to just living a life that's authentic. Mm -hmm. And I think when you live a life that's authentic, which by the way, isn't always easy to do. I think sometimes we have to break certain barriers, both within ourselves and throughout in our world to do something that's really truly authentic to us. And not everybody also has that opportunity at all times. I understand that's a very privileged viewpoint, um, but it's something that I strive for as much as possible, at least tidbits of my day for it to be authentically enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because I think that that's what the regret of the dying, but also there's research now that says that it just creates happier life, ergo longevity. Um, and so longevity is what something we talk a lot about in gerontology and actually in the pharmaceutical space, because all of these medications are created now and they have resulted in a generation that is living longer. Right. And so it's not just about the number of years. It's about the quality of years. Um, so I would say the second thing, so the first thing is truly authentically living in a way that speaks to me. The second thing is understanding the difference between years lived and quality of years lived. And um, and I'm always coming to my perfect shade of gray. Like if on one end is white, which is let's say number of years, and on the other end is black, which is live fast, die young. That's kind of a joke when you understand, you know, just what, what, what you want to live like. And then your perfect shade of gray is um, how you want to live these years. So again, to reiterate, I said um, quality of years versus quantity of years living authentically. And then perhaps the third one I would say is that I am humbled in awe of how far medicine has come. And I am also humbled by how far we have yet to go because medicine is created by human beings for human beings. And um, I think many times when medicine doesn't have the answer for us, we feel so frustrated at physicians or the medical system. And of course, there's so many gaps that, you know, we're always, there's always room for improvement. But I think having that realization that it's just people helping people Mm. um, and there's just so much to go. So as much as we've come so far, we have so far to go. Mm -hmm. And so I would say those three. Completely agree. I love that. And I just liked what you said at the end, that at the end of the day, it's people helping people. And I think sometimes we forget that the people helping us, you know, it's important to be kind to them as well, because although it is their job to be doctors, they are people with emotions as well, just trying to do their best also. So Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. 
And it sparked a couple more questions as you're talking, because I just find this field of aging so fascinating. And typically, when I think of aging, there are some people in the industry who believe in aging in reverse and, and, you know, the bulletproof diet and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on if you can age in reverse? So I think one thing you never want to change is how you're aging chronologically number of years lived, right? And so every year is a gift. Every second is a gift. Every day is a gift. And so when we're talking about um, the number of years, I think definitely we're not trying to go in reverse. Now, I think what people are talking about by biohacking or by reversing or aging or going in the opposite direction is the biological age. And I do believe that there are things we can do that can assist us in not aging as quickly, biologically or physiologically speaking. Now, I think that one thing to consider is that we are all born with different genes, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we're all working at a different baseline. But at the same time, if we give the body what it needs and it wants, we will see that it could really perform well in most cases if we're not talking about like major disease or something someone's born with. Having said that, I think it's not just about nutrition and exercise. There's a lot of... Um, There's just so much emphasis on nutrition and exercise. And by all means, they're both very important. But I think there's this other component of just community, Mm -hmm. self-acceptance, self-love, self-worth, not overworking yourself, you know, um, which is something I struggle with all the time. And And so when we're talking about this concept of slowing down biological aging um especially when you go on social media now it's like eat this don't eat this do this workout don't do hit exercises strength training okay uh walk get vitamin d wear your sunscreen though or don't wear sunscreen for some people you know um and so the idea is that yes those things are super important but i think what we're not realizing especially in this digital age is that true human connection Mm-hmm. Um, really just living a life that is not quote unquote stressful to you. And what I mean by we're all stressed, let's be real. There, there is a reason for every single one of us to have stress. Nobody goes that everybody has challenges in life. Um, but to have coping mechanisms, to have people we can talk to, I think, um, that's really important. But yeah, I do think there are things you can do. And there are parts of the world, blue zones, where Mm -hmm. people are living longer. And when we look at those, they have certain things in common. They have certain things that are different and individual, but they also have certain things in common. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of research that says there are things we can do. Mm -hmm. I love that. That sparked a couple more questions as well. Do you think that this whole field of anti-aging can also be detrimental as well? Of course, it can help us, like you said, live, you know, quality of years versus quantity. But do you also think it can swing the other way and be detrimental as well? Yeah, I think that's such a, um, I'll have to answer that from a vulnerable place for it to be real, which is, I don't think there's any of us or at least I let me not speak for others. Let me just speak for myself. 
I equally, as much as I work, talk aging all the time, find myself, especially living in LA, sometimes considering buying into certain anti-aging techniques or modalities. Mm-hmm. And I think where it could be detrimental is that we lose our sense of comfort or safety within our body image. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it could really be detrimental because if we feel that however we are now is not enough, um, then that's obviously not going to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, I think that there's a biological aspect, and this is just something that I reflect on sometimes. Why are people so Why are people so obsessed with aging? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, I think there's a. It's not just mag because magazines tell us, and and because we're um, kind of like uh, brainwashed into it. If you look at what is considered fertile coming back to hormones, what's considered fertile, what's considered, right? Like quote unquote, most attractive. Mm-hmm. It's youth because that's when fertility happens. And so I think we can be so hard on ourselves and say, you know what? I, there's two extremes. Like I don't care about anti-aging. I just want to blah, blah, blah. But I think the reality is that many of us struggle with these concepts. And I also think that it's not just from being brainwashed. I think it's because there's also a biological component. Now, having said all of that, we're all aging every second right now as we're talking, we're aging. Mm -hmm. And so I think being aware that there are things we could do to have better quality of life for the number of years that we're given is something that is wonderful and without getting too obsessed with it is something that we can incorporate into our lives. Mm-hmm. However, at the same time, buying into it too much can make us feel less than because all of a sudden we feel that we need to do this thing or that thing or that thing. And so finding that, again, perfect, perfect middle ground for yourself, the middle is always the hardest. And that's not me saying it. That's ancient wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. The middle is always the hardest and the most rewarding. Um and so, yeah, that, that's really what I think about aging. I think it's something that I myself sometimes struggle with. And then I'll have to be like, hey, Anna, remember? And, and then I bring myself back. Mm-hmm. It's self-image. It's body image. Um, and I think definitely, you know, I work in the female hormone space. I see it a lot. And I also see it in myself a lot. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing a lot of things you said really hit home with me and served as an as an important reminder as you were speaking just in terms of anti-aging and and things like that and you know body image or self image is we're always thinking in the future or things in the past that we wish we could change you know I wish I wore more sunscreen back in the day or you know thinking in the future how how you know in the future I'll lose weight or you know whatever it is and I think it's what you're reminding me is is important to just be in the present moment because as every second passes, time is going on. Like you said, as we're sitting here, we're aging. And yeah, even even let's say as a as a real-time example in this podcast, I'm trying not to think of the next question or the next question. I'm just trying to listen to you and be in the present moment and and just enjoy, you know, soaking up everything you're saying and being in your presence. And so that really served as an important reminder for me. 
thank you. I can actually feel you doing it, which is hard to do because as an interviewer, you have to have, you know, that structure. But at the same time, I could feel that you're truly here listening. So mm-hmm. not going, it's not going long. <laughs> yeah, like life is that, you know, life is that balance between striving and also just being. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we graduate to some Ivy League PhD level, right? Yeah. We're all becoming that. And mm-hmm. so we're all on that path. Yeah, I love that so much. And you mentioned hormones a bit. So I would love to get into that and all that good stuff. So earlier in your bio, and as you were telling your story, you mentioned living in LA and and your mom was, you know, helping you on your journey and things like that. So at what point did you get into the holistic approach? And as you were healing your hormones, did you combine, um, you know, the traditional medicine with the holistic approach and combine them both together? What did that look like? You know, it took me so many years to really understand how to even use a quote unquote holistic approach. Because um, when I was younger, my mom was helping me, nobody really realized what was happening, right? And so one of the books that was really eye opening for me was Period Repair Manual by Laura Bryden, who's a naturopath in Australia, or actually she's in New Zealand, but I think originally Canadian. Anyway, she's wonderful. So um, that was really eye-opening to me because I realized, oh, a lot of the symptoms that I'm experiencing, whether it's the IBS or it's the endometriosis or or it's the PCOS, are indicating that I have an underlying inflammatory process going on in my body. In addition to that, I also think that I have some um, insulin resistance. So when I was able to identify the underlying cause, I no longer was thinking about each particular diagnosis because the diagnoses were just words that I didn't necessarily care to be very um, associated with. But I started healing the cause. Mm-hmm. Right? And so some of the things were changing my diet. Some of the things were, um, you know, having some kind of mindfulness practice and that always changes for me. Sometimes I meditate, sometimes I walk, sometimes I breathe, sometimes I just sit. It's different all the time. Um, In terms of combining like the Western, um, like allopathic medicine, when I was in college, they put me on birth control for a short while for my symptoms, but I realized it really wasn't making much of a difference. Mm -hmm. So I discontinued it. And I have to say that most of it is just me doing what I supplements, diet, exercise, lifestyle. And what I mean by lifestyle is just trying to be in this state of equilibrium, um, being in the present moment, not overstressing things, which is not always easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my personal journey. It was a lot of books that I read. I mentioned Laura Brighton because she was probably the most instrumental but a lot of books that I read and also just, you know, one of the things is I learned a lot from social media. I did. And you would think that I wouldn't because I had a doctorate, you know, but the reality is that I I heard different doctors saying different things. People were researching different things that maybe they didn't teach me at school, but because I had that background, it made perfect sense to me. So the second I would hear it, I was like, yeah, exactly. That makes perfect sense. So that's why I say education is a tool. Because information is always growing. Today, somebody who goes and gets a pharmacology degree 
is going to have to learn about maybe 20, 30 more drugs than I had to learn because we've had that many in just the last few years, right? Mm -hmm. And so that information is always changing. What doesn't change is your baseline, your understanding of the human body and physiology, which Mm -hmm. is why when you ask me, how do you combine aging with pharmacy? For me, they're just an extension of the same thing is the basic science of how to, how the body and the mind work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. When you break it all down, it really does come back to how the body works. And then as we go through life and school and things like that, you learn different avenues of how to support the body and and all the systems. So I I find that super, super fascinating. And um, I love Laura Bryden and that's a, that's a, such a great book. The other question I wanted to ask you, um, well, one thing that just came to my mind as just a, a random side topic is if in the future you ever do come up with, like you said, combining the the stages of life and women's health and hormones, if you come out with some sort of book or course, I feel like that would be super amazing is combining those two and learning throughout the stages of life, how the body changes and that would be awesome. But my question for you is, where do you see the field of women's health and cycle care going in the future? Yeah, no, it's so funny that you said that because it's always been kind of a dream of mine. Um, so education is my passion. And my mom always says, like, you were two years old, you would just stand in front of the mirror and talk for hours and hours. And I actually remember having an audience and talking to them. And so for me, I literally just just it, it, like I feel something inside right now as I'm talking to you. If I can take all this information, mm-hmm. right? The life lessons, the school lessons, the body lessons, and I can condense it and I can present it to you in a way that's easy to digest. That's something you're going to remember. It's something you can reference and it's something that's going to change your life. To me, that is my passion. That's me living my authentic truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if I could simplify it and put it on a platter, that would be the dream. And so what you said, I would love to do that. Where are we going with cycle care? I think we've come a long way compared to when, let's say, I had those symptoms of PCOS when I was, whatever, 12 years old. Uh, I think young women today have a lot more access to care um, and information than I did at that time. Having said that, I think we have a really long way to go. And I think one of the things that's really important is when I look back at myself, I looked very different when I was 12. You know, I looked like I didn't know what was happening. Very hairy, acne everywhere, gaining weight. And if I could just go tell every younger person that's going through that, hey, it's not you. It's your hormones. We're going to fix it. It just, it makes me want to cry right now just talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that's just hormone dysregulation. What about people who have regular cycles and they don't really know what's happening in their body? What are the four phases of the cycle? How do they, how do they relate to one another? At which state can you get pregnant? What, what is your body trying to do when you have a period? What is a period? How much should you bleed? What should it feel like? What's normal pain? What's abnormal pain? So, um, or what are normal cramps you shouldn't have a lot of pain? What are normal just period cramps? And what is now maybe something you should get checked out? So mm-hmm. I think we're definitely getting into the age where information is being spread. 
um, I would love to kind of have my voice in there. And my, if I had to say, how would I want to speak it? It would be as simply as possible because we're not here to get hormone PhDs, you know, we're mm -hmm. here to just understand our bodies so that we can kind of live for lack of better words, our best lives. Um, information is power, but it has to be in a way that's palatable, understandable, applicable. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. And I, I really do believe that you are playing such a big role in that field of education. Your online platform is super, super helpful in terms of education for you know, women going through that stage of life with PCOS or endometriosis or whatever it may be. And your page is just such a wealth of knowledge and information. So I, I do believe you are in that space and doing exactly what you're setting out to do. Thank you. Thank you. I try to as much as possible. Because when you look at the endocrine system, endocrine system is a system in which the hormones lie. It's so complex. I think we need like multiple degrees to even just, it's very complex. Okay. Yeah. How do we take this and say, Hey, you don't need to know all this. This is what you got to know. This is yeah. what you can do to make it better. Now go do whatever you want to do. Go to your kid's piano recital or go have lunch. With <laughs> I love that. Break it down as simple as possible. You know, I feel like women who are struggling with hormones, but not in the space of education. They just need the most simple stuff possible because they do have a full-time job or kids or caregivers or whatever it may be that you do break it down in, in such an easy, digestible way. So I applaud you for that. Thank you for saying that. That's like going straight into my heart, making it <laughs> wiggle inside. Of course. The One of the last questions I have for you is you brought up the fact if you could tell your your younger self when you were struggling with you know the PCOS and the acne and the body hair and things like that if you could tell your your younger self three pieces of advice what would it be oh my gosh i don't know if you saw me got a little i get a little teary i get teary every time um somebody asks me this question because i think um really it's like the fuel that it's really like why i do what i do um, I think one of it would be to not take your sense of self-worth from what's happening with your body. Mm. Um, the second one would be to really embrace your femininity, your female body structure. Um, I think it's the biggest gift that we could be given. Um, and number three, would really be to take care of your body in a way that it could serve you. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, to reiterate is number one is really a worthiness thing as a self-identity thing. Number two is this idea of embrace the fact that you're given these organ systems. They are more powerful than you ever thought or you could believe. And number three is give your body what it needs. So it could do for you what it wants, what it's here to do for you. Physiologically, biologically. 
Hmm. I love those three pieces of advice so much. And I can really feel all your emotion. You were making me <laughs> tear up because as a as a younger girl as well, I struggled with terrible acne, bloating, all sorts of hormone issues. And and when I look back at that, that poor overweight girl and just thinking your, you know, your weight and your looks is not tied up into your personality and it does not define who you are. And so I love that you just said some of those things that, you know, it's, it doesn't define your worthiness and embracing the body that you have and your body is a gift and all your organs and limbs. And I think sometimes we do forget how lucky we are that we are able to nourish our body and give it what it needs and, you know, nourish our brain and, and our spirit. And I just love everything you said. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, in a way, um, I wish you didn't have to have those struggles. But this is always what I say. Having the struggle and being able to overcome it puts you in a place that's so almost enlightened that never having had the struggle, um, those are, it's different gifts. Never having the struggle is one gift, but having it and overcoming it is a different, it's just a different shade that, you know, if, you if you're there, you're just very blessed to be there. And because I'm very blessed to be there, it's almost like I can't talk about it without tearing up because that's literally where the passion comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was you. That is and was a, a part of you. So I, I completely get where you're coming from. And every hero has their origin story, you know, so I feel like that's what you and I have been through. And then it just shaped who we are today. And, you know, it led us into our passions. And so I relate to that so much. I can feel it. <laughs> one of the last questions I have for you, one of my favorite questions is, is there anything that we didn't get to talk about in this conversation that you would love to share with everyone as you're such a wealth of knowledge? So is there a quote that you love to live by or a topic that we didn't get to touch on that you just want to share about or, you know, any sort of quote or motivation that you want to leave everyone off with? Gosh, there are so many because when I teach, um, every class has a quote. One of my favorite people to quote is Maya, Angel Maya Angelou. I think she has wonderful quotes. And she's actually one of the very first people that talked about this idea of just embracing aging for women. Um, she doesn't really have it in writing too much, but I've heard her say it a couple of times. And I remember as a younger girl thinking, wow, you know, she's really ahead of her time in that space. Uh, so I would say, uh, read her. She's great. But um, one of the quotes that I like to start my class with is actually a quote that she quotes someone else. And I don't exactly remember who said it, but it's a, it's a Latin quote. And it basically translates to, I am human, and therefore nothing human can be foreign to me, which basically means that we are all the same. And so there's no place for you to feel above or below for you to feel like you know, you can judge another person's journey because um, nothing that another human can, human being can think or say is really that foreign. You know, who, who knows if in their position you would or wouldn't do the same. Um, and so I think when we're serving other people, it's just really, I consider, we all serve somebody, right? Um, I consider that one of the quotes that I always think about. 
I love that so much. What a great way to end off with Maya Angelou, who is also a wealth of knowledge. And so in closing, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your knowledge. And I can see all the passion and and fire. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with everyone. And now that everyone's listened, and I'm sure really wants to connect with you, where can they find you and connect with you? So I'm on all kinds of social media. It's at Nutra FemRx. It's Nutra N-U-T-R-A Fem F-E-M-M-E R-X. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on. And this was a lovely conversation. So I appreciate you, Dr. Anna. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You got me teary. You got me happy. Everything. All of it. (laughs) A great conversation. Thank you so much for listening in to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with a friend, subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. And for more health, wellness, and lifestyle tips, you can always come say hi to me on Instagram at nutritionmoderation or online at nutritionmoderation.com. I hope you have an amazing day wherever you are, and I'll chat with you soon. Thank you.